I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me uh, once again to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Uh, if you happen to be using one of the church pew Bibles, um, the pew rack in front of you, you can find this on page 282. We are going to uh, be covering verses 6 through 22 this morning, but I am going to pick up our reading in verse 1. So let's uh, begin our reading in Ruth 1.1, and let's give due attention to the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years and both Malon and Kilian died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead And with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I enjoy reading uh, Christian biographies. One of the things good Christian biography does is it takes the principles and the truths of the Bible and makes them concrete in the lives of real men and women. Uh, It shows us the strengths and the weaknesses, the successes and failures of people who are not very different from ourselves. It shows us the way of uh, the ways of our God with his people. And often Christian biographies can highlight things to follow and aspire to, as well as dangers and pitfalls to avoid. And here in the book of Ruth, we are looking today at the lives of three women, and we are helped, I think, to see the ways of God as we trace them in the lives of these three women. And as we do so, I think we will also see things to admire and follow, as well as dangers and pitfalls to avoid. Let's quickly remember what has happened so far in case you weren't with us last week. A man by the name of Elimelech has left his, uh, led his family from the land of promise, the land of covenant blessing, to the pagan land of Moab in order to flee from a famine that had come over Bethlehem. Elimelech failed to see the famine in the land as God's rebuke and correction for the people's sins. And so instead of returning to the Lord in repentance, Elimelech fled from the land of promise into the land of compromise. Uh, The last verse of the book of Judges, the book of Judges providing the, the setting and the time in which the events of the book of Ruth unfold, could easily be a description of Elimelech's choice. The last verse in the book of Judges tells us that in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was exactly what Elimelech was doing here. He was walking not by faith, but by sight. It seemed like the right and the wise thing to do at the time to leave, but as we saw, it proved to be a disastrous decision. And so what was supposed to be a relatively brief sojourn in the land of Moab turned out to be an extended stay. And those 10 years were were filled with bitterness. First, it began with the death of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And then Naomi's two sons took Moabite wives in disobedience to God's command. And then Naomi's two sons died. And so now Naomi has buried 
her husband and her only two sons in Moabite graves. And now we meet Naomi here in verse 6 as we pick up the story. And we find Naomi bereft, broken, mourning with her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi one day receives word that, that the Lord has visited his people back home in Judah and provided them with food. The, the discipline of the Lord, which is what the famine in the land was supposed to be, God was simply being faithful to the covenant that he had established with Israel at Mount Sinai, saying, when you turn your back upon me, this is one of the warning signs that I will bring upon you to call you back to faithfulness and obedience, famine in the land of promise. It was only ever meant to be a temporary thing, calling God's people back to repentance. And now the Lord has visited his people in mercy and provided them with food. And so the, the, the land of Moab, the place that once appeared to be the place of plenty, has turned out for this little family to be a place of utter devastation and loss. And Naomi has come to the conclusion that it is time for her to return home. Now, that word return is crucial for understanding this story. If you pick it up beginning in verse 6, that word in one form or another in Hebrew appears in just about every verse in the rest of the chapter. So if you start in verse 6, we read, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return. Verse 7, they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Verse 8, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return. Verse 10, they said, no, we will return with you. Verse 11, Naomi said, turn back. Verse 12, turn back. Verse 16, your sister-in-law has gone back. Return after your sister-in-law. Do not urge me, Ruth says, or to return is, is the actual language there. Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. So I think it's safe to say this story is about returning. But the return journeys of each of these three women are different. They are unique and distinct. They, they return in different ways. And so as we look at these women's stories, I, I hope that as we read them, they will help us to read our own stories more honestly before God. The stories of Orpah, Ruth and Naomi depict three very different but common responses to the Lord, particularly his providential dealings with us, and perhaps even more narrowly than that, particularly when hardship and suffering break into our lives. And so we have three pictures here. In, in Orpah, we have a picture of what we're going to call an almost believer. And Ruth, we have a picture of a new believer. And in Naomi, we have a picture of a backslidden believer. An almost believer, a new believer, a backslidden believer. Let's consider each of these three pictures. Beginning with Orpah, the almost believer. If you look at verses 6 and 7, these, these women 
the three of them set off together for the land of Judah. But Naomi is convinced that she can offer her daughters-in-law nothing in the land of Bethlehem. So she urges them in verse 8, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in your husband's house. See what Naomi's saying. She, she blesses them. She actually invokes the covenant name of the Lord and seeks to send them back to their Moabite family. She thinks that their best hopes of a better life is in finding new husbands because she believes it extremely unlikely that any man of Bethlehem would ever take an interest in a widowed Moabite girl. In fact, later, later in the story, when Ruth has resolutely committed herself to going with Naomi to Bethlehem, you see what Naomi's response is in verse 18. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't celebrate. There's, there are no hugs and kisses. All we're told in that verse is she said no more. Her mouth was shut. She was silent. The best thing she could muster up was silence because she knows or thinks she knows just how hard things are going to be for Ruth. But take a look at the initial reaction of Orpah and Ruth to Naomi's first appeal. It tells us at the very least that these three had become very near and dear to one another. She kissed them, they, they wept together, and both Ruth and Orpah say in verse 10, No, we will return with you to your people. Both of them say that. But then Naomi doubles down in her insistence that the girls not follow her, and she tries another line of argument in verses 11 through 13. She says, Turn back, my daughters. Why, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Now that might sound really strange to us. But what Naomi is talking about there is something known as leveret marriage as it's outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 25. The leveret marriage law uh, required the brother of a deceased man or a near relative to take the widow to be his wife in order to provide for her, in order to uh, perpetuate the family line and the family inheritance in the land of promise. Now that might sound really strange to us, but it was a thing of enormous importance in those days. And Naomi is saying to Orpah and Ruth, look, there is no possibility of that if you come with me. The situation is hopeless, so go back. And after Naomi persisted this time, verse 14 uh, Orpah and Ruth lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed Naomi, but Ruth clung to her. And as I think verse 15, the next verse makes clear, it was at this moment that Orpah turned back. She, she returned, but she didn't return with Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem. She went back to Moab. You see, she started to follow. She, she began the journey for a while. It looked like Naomi would return with two Moabite daughters-in-law who would identify with the people of God. But Naomi's bleak portrait of a hard and hopeless future same, soon overcame and overwhelmed 
any sense of personal loyalty that Orpah had to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so she turned back. You see, both, both Ruth and Orpah walked along the same road for a while. Both responded in the same way to the same circumstances for a season. But while Ruth went on, Orpah turned back. Some of you have made the journey from Moab to Bethlehem, haven't you? Some of us have made this journey. You've, you've heard that the Lord has visited his people in grace. You've heard what the Lord in his kindness has done for his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've turned your backs on the world and you have confessed that the Lord is my God and his people are my people. And there have been people, there have been those who have walked beside you for a season on the road. And they seem to have come to trust in the God of covenant mercy. But the truth is, when the prospects ahead looked hard and the real cost of making the journey became clear, they turned back. They proved to be what the Puritan Matthew Mead called almost Christians. Maybe you've come today because you have a family member or a a husband or wife or parent or perhaps a dear friend who follows Jesus and, and you're deeply committed to them, right? You follow them as Orpah followed Naomi. But one of the things this narrative is teaching us, dear friends, is that personal loyalties, family ties, and family traditions are never strong enough to break the pool of Moab. See, the road of Moab always, always looks easier than the difficult journey for anyone seeking a place among the people of God. And so if all you have is love for family and no love for the Lord Jesus himself, you will inevitably fall away. You will be like that soil that Jesus talks about, the rocky soil. Seed will spring up, but since it has no depth of soil, the sun scorches it, and because it has no root, it withers away. See, you are the one, Jesus says, who hears the word and receives it with joy, but because you have no root in yourself, you may endure for a while when troubles come on account of the word. You fall away, says Jesus. And so Orpah's story warns us against being almost Christians. Do not be like Orpah who turned back. Do not be like the the rich young ruler. You remember him? He came to Jesus with his questions. And after conversing with Jesus and after being confronted by Jesus, he turned back. He turned away from the Lord Jesus. He walked in the other direction away from Jesus because worldly possessions had a grip on his heart. Because the world mattered more to him than following Jesus. Because the cost of discipleship was simply too costly for him. You see, the lore of Moab is strong, so Dear friend, be sure that your journey to the land of promise is is not merely a temporary diversion 
from the broad road that leads to eternal destruction. Do not be an almost believer. Well, let's consider Ruth now. We have Orpah, the almost believer, now Ruth, the new believer. While Orpah proves to be an almost believer, Ruth, I think, in this story becomes a new believer. Orpah turns back, and now in verse 15, Naomi turns to Ruth and essentially says, look at, look at your sister-in-law. Why don't you go with her? She's the wise one. Why don't you follow her? But Ruth responds with words that I think are among the most famous in the Old Testament, so it's worth hearing them again. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So here's the question. What on earth has happened to Ruth to produce this extraordinary commitment when Orpah has just buckled under the very same pressure? I think the only answer is that Ruth has been converted. Ruth has been changed. Uh, (coughs) Naomi can, can hardly be called a good evangelist here, can she? I mean, she's positively trying to send them away. Her pessimism about things getting harder for her daughters-in-law should, should they return to Israel with her was hardly incentive to keep going. And here Naomi actually seems determined in verse 15 to send Ruth back to her paganism. Go back to your gods, she says. You see, very clearly not all is well in Naomi's heart, as we will see in just a few moments. But dear friends, the Lord can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And praise be to God that he does so. Otherwise, all of us would despair of ever being of any use whatsoever in his service. Despite all Naomi's discouragements, Ruth commits herself to Naomi, to her people, and to her God. And and we see that commitment in a number of ways. Notice, Notice that Ruth echoes the language of God's own covenant promise to Israel. Back in Exodus chapter Six, he promises them in these words, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. That's Exodus 6 verse 7. You see what Ruth does? She turns God's covenant promise around and declares, your people, my people, your God, my God. She's she's claiming the covenant promise for herself and she is identifying herself with the people God has promised to redeem. And remember, Ruth has faced all of the same discouragements Naomi has thrown into the path of of Orpah. She knows that, humanly speaking, there is no prospect of a future for her in Judah. She's watched her sister-in-law turn back to the so-called greener pastures in Moab. She's lost everything with no earthly hope of recovery. And so Ruth knows that the road ahead is hard if she continues from Moab to Bethlehem, and yet she presses on. See, I think the only explanation that can account for her commitment to make this journey is that her heart has been changed by the grace of God, that the Lord has won Ruth to himself. 
that the Lord has, has won Ruth's heart. She has been saved by the grace of God and by grace joined to the God of covenant grace. I mean, note the significance of this. A Moabite girl saying in verse 17, May the Lord Yahweh do so to me and more so also if anything but death parts me from you. Right? She, she takes the name by which God has uniquely revealed himself to Israel as Redeemer and Savior. The name that signals his covenant love and faithfulness. And, and she says, this God I take to be my God. His people, my people. I can't leave you, Naomi. I won't leave you, Naomi, because I am clinging to the Lord. And so here is the great difference then between the almost believer and the true believer in Jesus Christ. The, the almost believer follows on the path for a time, perhaps motivated by personal loyalties, family ties, family traditions, devotion to a family member. But, but in the end, no matter how strong those loyalties, the almost believer turns back to the world. When, when the hardships of life press in, when, when one comes to a crossroad, the almost believer chooses to return to the comforts of Moab. But the new believer knows that to follow Jesus Christ is to take up your cross and follow him. The new believer understands, as Paul puts it, that we must Enter the kingdom of God through many trials and tribulations. But God himself, you see, has come to capture Ruth's heart. And so she cannot but follow and serve him. I think Ruth's story, it brought to my mind as I was thinking about it this week. Um, a passage in John's gospel, in John chapter 6. You remember when Jesus is speaking to this large crowd of followers and he has some hard teaching to share with them. And after Jesus teaches, folks in the crowd look at themselves and say, you know, th th this is hard teaching. Who, who can listen to it? And then John goes on to tell us that it was then that many disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. They were almost believers. Near to the kingdom, but never really entering in. A whole crowd of them. And then Jesus turns and says to his disciples, the twelve, do you want to go with them? Do you want to turn back and follow them? And Simon Peter, as he was prone to do, speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Words I think Ruth could have taken upon her own lips. Lord, to whom, whom shall we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. And so, dear friends, as we're looking at this passage in the book of Ruth, I think the Lord Jesus is speaking to us today and asking us this question. If those of you who have begun to follow him, do you want to turn back? Do you want to go back to Moab? Do you want to go the way of the world? And I hope, I hope by God's grace, we... We have the same resolution as Ruth. And we say with Simon Peter, Lord Jesus, who else would we go to? 
You alone possess the words of life, and every other way is a dead end. See, however tempting and enticing the world may appear, however hard and painful following Jesus may be at times, there is nowhere else to go because he alone possesses the words of eternal life. And notice in this passage how Ruth is consistently referred to as Ruth the Moabite. Did you catch that throughout the story? It's as if there's this label she just can't get out from underneath it. And it's the narrator's way of helping us to remember each time that Ruth was an outsider. Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the outsider. But here is part of the wonderful news of the gospel, dear friends. That Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the outsider, came all of the way in and embraced the God of covenant grace. And that communicates to us, dear friends, that there is room underneath the wings of the shadow of, the, of Almighty God for the, the outsider. There need not be a single orpa in this room today. There's room for us. There, there's no need to be an orpa and return to Moab. Because this story, it teaches us that there's room for all to come like Ruth and to take the God of Israel as your God as he offers himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Orpah is the almost believer, Ruth the new believer. And and now Naomi, as I'm sure you've begun to notice, is the backslidden believer. Now, Naomi clearly knows the Lord. That much is clear in her benediction when she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt kindly with the dead and with me. The word deal kindly in Hebrew is actually the word chesed. You know, that that great Old Testament word that is often translated in our ESV Bibles as steadfast love. It's the mark of the relationship between God and his people. It's God's, God's commitment to grace and faithfulness to those who belong to him. And that's what Naomi pronounces over Orpah and Ruth as she sends them to, or attempts to send them back to Moab, but therefore, doesn't it, it all begins to sound terribly pious because those words ring hollow, right? Her, Her push to turn these girls away from God and his people, her outright recommendation to Ruth, you know what, Ruth? Those Moabite gods of yours might actually be your best bet. Why don't you go with them? You see, it tells the sad, sad story of a heart in spiritual decline. And we have a window into her heart. And what's causing that spiritual condition in verse 13 when she says, No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's... That's how Naomi has been reading her circumstances. She sees the providence of God for sure. The sovereignty of God, yes. But she's no longer able to see how the sovereign God is a good God. She thinks that this sovereign God is somehow out to get her, to punish her. And so when she arrives in Bethlehem and local women rush out to meet her, she responds to their greetings by saying, Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. 
For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty brought calamity on me? Dear friends, this is, this is a reality that we all must face. It's so important we understand this for, for living the Christian life that there is not a Christian in the world who does not or will not suffer in their lifetime. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. I say that again because I don't think we're hearing that very often from some popular teaching today. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. But how careful we need to be when that suffering comes into our lives, that it, that it does not do in our hearts what it did in Naomi's heart. Sowing seeds of bitterness toward God and then allowing that seed to germinate in our souls when in fact it was always God's design, even in our hardest, sorest trials, not to drive us away from him, but to draw us closer to himself. You see, Naomi is a soul in despair. She, she believes that God is somehow after her. She can see providence clearly enough, but she cannot discern grace. And so all she knows is hurt and pain and loss. So she feels that God has dealt bitterly with her, and now she is wallowing in the bitterness of her grief. But you see, one of the things that the book of Ruth is designed to do is to teach us to begin to see providence with new eyes. Here is a woman who has drifted away from the Lord. But notice, just as she begins to make the journey home, God is already at work in his perfect providence to bring her back to himself. And there's a hint of that in the closing verse of this chapter, that they, they return to Bethlehem. At the beginning of the barley harvest. It's just, a, it's just a little clue. It's just a little hint that's setting up the rest of this story. That will unfold for us in the, the weeks to come. It's a note of hope. And I think that we are being taught to say in the words of William Cooper's hymn. That's printed on the front of your bulletin. You know this line. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessing on your head. His purposes shall ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. See, there, there is the beginning of a lesson in this last verse of the chapter. It's a lesson that Naomi has not yet fully come to learn. But as we scan back over the ways our own hearts have responded to to suffering and hard providences. Aren't we being summoned by the ugly spectacle of Naomi's backslidden, bitter heart? Not to rush ahead in judgment upon the Lord who has ordained and ordered our trials. But instead do what Ruth does and cling to the God of covenant grace. And to learn to say with the psalmist, it was good that I was afflicted in order that I might learn your statutes. 
You see, God is teaching and training us even in our sorest trials, and he purposes our good in our griefs. And so in this story, there are three smaller stories about returning. And each of these women return in their unique and distinct way. Orpah was an almost believer. She, she started the journey, but she didn't finish it. So what about you, dear friend? What about you? If you've started the journey, will you cross the finish line? Or will you turn back, counting the cost of following Jesus? Ruth was a new believer. She, she clung to the Lord, no matter the cost. She took his covenant as her own. And, and maybe, maybe the Lord is calling you even today, like he called Ruth, to come to him and to find refuge under the wings of the Almighty. If so, this passage is saying, don't go to Moab. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ and find refuge there. And Naomi is a picture of backslidden believer. And maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you've wandered and the Lord is working to bring you back home to himself. Maybe, maybe you have a bitter heart. Maybe bitterness has cropped up in your life and and. What's this passage saying to you today? It's saying, be warned, dear one, by Naomi's story, not to judge the Lord by your own feeble sense, but to trust him for his grace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you that even in the, the deepest valley of, of our sufferings, that you are at work, working out your purposes uh, restoring those who have uh, gone backwards, awakening uh, consciences to their need of you, and perhaps even calling people to a new and living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about this passage, we pray that you would forgive us of our backsliding, and if any are turning back to Moab, we pray that you would rescue them from their wanderings and Lord, we ask that each and every one of us here today might come with bended knee like Ruth to embrace the God of covenant mercy and grace. Continue to teach us in the weeks ahead from this wonderful little book. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.